Proverbs chapter 5 to start with. Keep your fingers ready to move. We'll be in several different passages today. We'll start in Ephesians 5. If you missed last week's message on the role of men in the church, you can listen to that online. Let me encourage you to do so. If you're a man, it applies to you, whether you're single or not. Today we're going to talk about the role of women in the church, though. Now, the last few decades, I'm sure you're aware of this, have brought tremendous change in women's involvement in church ministry. Now, here's what uh, the book Mega Trends for Women says. This kind of gives you an idea of some of the stuff that's going on in our world. Anyway, here's what it says. I quote from this book, Mega Trends for Women. Quote, women of the late 20th century are revolutionizing the most sexist institution in history, organized religion. Overturning millennia of tradition, they are challenging authorities, reinterpreting the Bible, creating their own services, crowding into seminaries, winning the right to ordination, purging sexist language and liturgy, reintegrating female values, and assuming positions of leadership. End quote. One of the most common allegations amongst traditional views of women roles is that they are sexist, that they are somehow demeaning to women. However, the Bible, I think, is pretty clear that accusation is false. Traditional views that are rooted in biblical doctrines have, in fact, been used by God through history to actually improve respect for women, not oppress them. The Bible and, and, and the church have been, have been the major stimulus for the rise of women in society. Paul's command that husbands should live, love their wives as their own bodies was nothing short of revolutionary at that time. You have to understand the, the culture at that time, the Greco-Roman culture at that time, the, the way they viewed a woman or a wife... Any woman uh, was very different from today. So what we're about to look at here in a moment from from Ephesians 5, you have to to think of that, how revolutionary was that at that time? The citizens of a Greco-Roman culture, they viewed uh, a man's wife as just his maid. And he'd often have numerous concubines that were his sexual partners. So a woman was just a piece of property for the most part. And so God comes along and he writes Ephesians chapter 5. And this was incredible what God had to say here. Look look at this. Ephesians 5, verse 28. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. That's amazing. There's nothing there that gives the idea that a woman is is a piece of property. In fact, guys, if you're married or looking to be married, you are to love your wife the same way you love your body. And by the way, you love your body. Trust me, you love your body. All of you guys sitting here, you love your bodies. You know how I know that? 
well, you're wearing clothes that have been washed. You're not, you're not stinking. Your hair's combed. You've looked in the mirror, probably. You've probably taken a shower this week, at least one, right? Yeah, you've fed yourself. You've been drinking water. You've slept at least a little bit tonight, right? So these are just some ways you've looked after yourself. You've loved yourself. So the Bible makes it an, the assumption that you love yourself because you do. God says you're to love your wife the way you love your own body. So a woman is not a piece of property. A woman is something special. Now, biblical Christians recognize that God's word clearly places some restrictions on the ministries of women in the church. So let's, let's get practical here. We'll, we'll talk about some of these. Because last week we talked about men's roles, and one of those roles was exclusively for men, Leadership within the church for elders and deacons is exclusively for men. But there are some things the Bible does talk about that you as women should be doing. Now, God did not make women inferior to men. Okay, so please don't think that. But there are things in Scripture where, where women have different roles to play. For example, just like the Trinity has different roles to play. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have different roles to play but they're, they're equal, right? Jesus is just as much God as God the Father. The Holy Spirit's just as much God as Jesus Christ, but they have different roles to play. Well, guess what? You as women have different roles to play in the church. That doesn't mean you're, you're lesser in importance or uh, somehow demeaned or inferior. Uh, think, think about it. It's, it's a bit like a car, right? <clears throat> okay? Uh, I'm not sorry. It, Please, if this, this illustration is not meant to be offensive to you, okay? So please don't be offended, but it's the, it's the illustration that I'm going to use, all right? Just as each of the parts of an engine of a car are there to accomplish a certain task, to, to make that, that engine of the car run smoothly, or, um, or another illustration you, we could use, think, thinking about you and your function within the body. Well, let's take a rugby team, for example. Right? Rugby team has different players. They have different roles to play. You notice they all have different numbers on their back. And, and that number means something. Right? You know, if you've got a certain number, it, it, it often tells, okay, that rugby player's a forward. Or if you've got, you got another number, okay, that guy's a back, you know, or, or something like that. And so they have different, you know, forwards aren't supposed to be doing what the backs are supposed to do. The backs aren't supposed to be doing what the halfback's supposed to do. You, you get the point? Not everybody can go out there and kick the goals. You know, there's a guy who's usually designated for kicking goals and penalties. So every player on a rugby team needs to play a unique role in order for that team to win. If everybody goes out there and says, oh, forget that, man. I don't, I don't want to clear out the scrums. I want to play halfback. Do you think that team's going to win? Of course not. Or if the backs say, you know, man, those forwards, I, I really like what the forwards do. I'm going to do what they do and nobody's actually playing in the back, they're not going to win. You get the point? They have different functions to play. And those guys, the All Blacks, they know what their job is, and they do it well, which is why they win a lot, don't they? Well, that's the way it is with men and women in the church. Okay, We all have different functions to play. And, and you're supposed to know what that function is for, for us to operate as a healthy body. And Scripture uses the, the physical body to describe 
how we, how we operate amongst each other. I mean, imagine your, your physical body. If you had parts of your physical body saying, hey, I don't like what I am. You know, God made a mistake. I want to do, I, you know, if your foot says, you know, I want to be a hand, you know, you're going to have some problems, right? <laughs> or if your eye says, no, I don't like being an eye. I want to be a nose. You're going to have some problems. But that's what happens within church bodies. Women decide, well, you know, I don't like my role. I want to I do a man's role. That creates problems in a church. We all have our different functions to perform in order for that body to honor God. So what are the main parts that God has designed for a woman to play in the church? Good question. All right? What are these? And this is not an exhaustive list we're going through today. We don't have time to go through everything in the Bible. So let me just live, give you a few, few things to think about and meditate upon here. Okay, Number one, God calls you women to be submissive learners. God calls you to be submissive learners. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to start with. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11 talks about submissive learners here. And we're going to look at a couple different passages on, on this. And all have special reference to the conduct of women within the context of a, a particular public gathering of the church. It's, it's the context of a local church. In this case, it's the church in Corinth. So we have a specific local church... It's the context of the public gathering of that church. And look what God says to you as women. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Look at verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. All right, that's our first passage we'll mention. Uh, now go over to chapter 14. Chapter 14. You'll see the same, same sort of a context. Paul's talking about the public gathering of the church. Now, I'm not going to take time to exposit all all the fine details of these passages but the point is here here's the point god calls you to be a submissive learner all right first corinthians 14 look at verse 34 verse 34 verse 34 says the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says 
If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Okay, again, you see this point. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you, you have to sit there and be quiet the whole time, okay? That's not the point. But, but you're not to be a teacher of men. You're not to be a teacher of men. Of course, we talked about this last week. Yes, you can teach children and, and other ladies, but uh, this is in reference uh, to, to reference to teaching of men. Is, is, that's the situation you're to be quiet in. And First Timothy, it kind of elaborates on this, helps us understand that what Paul's talking about there a bit more. Look at this. 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So that last verse there is given the reasons why God does what he does. God has different functions. Now, there's some issues in, in these passages, of course. Uh, it, it's made for interesting debate through the centuries. Now, we're not going to be able to deal with, with all the issues, okay? But, but I do want to point out two concepts that are clear from these passages and that should, should not be open for debate, okay? All right, number one. In the context of the local church... Each woman should submit herself to male leadership and should learn from the teaching of men rather than being a teacher of men. That is not open for interpretation. Okay? There is only one interpretation. <laughs> okay? Yeah, there can be multiple applications, but the interpretation is that right there. Women are to be submissive learners. They are not to be teachers of men. And number two, eldership and other positions of authority in the church are simply not a biblical option for a Christian woman. Nor is any kind of teaching or counseling role in which she would be ministering to men. Okay, God's clear that's only for men. Okay, Unless you can somehow get around the biblical qualification that Paul gives in Timothy of being a husband of one wife... If you can, ladies, if you can somehow get around that, good luck. You're going to take more than luck. Uh, God says it is you're to be a husband of one wife. Of course, only a male can fulfill that qualification. So again, let me emphasize to you that this submissive role does not mean that you are somehow inferior to a man. You are not. In fact, I firmly believe you are better than us men in many ways, okay? Which is why God designed you that way to fulfill your roles, because you are better than us in many ways. You're better able to fulfill those roles. There are some things my wife can do that I can't. God designed her that way. There are things you can do that I can't do, and other guys in here can't do. God designed you that way. Grasp onto it. 
Thank God for that. Don't fight it. And so the difference between men and women is not one of quality or ability, but it's, it's an issue of function. It's just an issue of function. Well, this, this, uh, this difference is illustrated in uh, 1 Corinthians eleven three, which Paul, here's what Paul said. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a, of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay? You, you see there are different functions. Okay? They're, they're, you know, a man and, and, a, and a woman are equal, but they have different functions to play. God the Father had different functions to play from Jesus Christ. But you see submission there. Even in the Trinity, there's submission because there's different functions to play. Therefore, ladies, you're, you have different functions to play as well. So contrary to the complaints of feminists, the differing roles of women is not something that's meant to be burdensome on you. Okay? In fact, uh, here's what uh, one commentator said. Uh, this is a commentary on First Timothy, kind of commenting on that passage we just read earlier. Uh, look, what, look what he says. I quote William Hendrickson. He says, quote, Though these words in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 and 12 may sound a trifle unfriendly, in reality they are the very opposite. In fact, they are expressive of the feelings of tender sympathy and basic understanding. They mean, let a woman not enter a sphere of activity for which, by dint of her very creation, she is not suited. Let not a bird try to dwell under water. Let not a fish try to live on land. Let not a woman try to exercise authority over man by lecturing him in public worship. For the sake both of herself and the spiritual welfare of the church, such unholy tampering with the divine authority is forbidden. End quote. I love that illustration. Makes it so clear, doesn't it? God designed a fish to be in water. God designed birds to be in the air. They have different functions. (laughs) And if they try to go somewhere where God didn't design them, they're going to end up dead, right? They're not going to be happy. You wonder why so many men and women are unhappy in churches? Because they're trying to do stuff God never designed them to do. Well, our sinful society and perhaps our sinful hearts have convinced many of us sometimes that it's, it's somehow more blessed to lead than it is to follow. I can assure you it's not, okay? When you lead, that's a very uncomfortable place to be. You, you usually end up getting shot in both sides, the front and the back, when you lead. Right? It's a very uncomfortable place to be. In fact, remember, if you're a teacher of Scripture, God says you have a stricter judgment, that's an uncomfortable place to be. So it, it's, it's, it's not necessarily the case those who are doing the leading or the so-called more visible spiritual gifts doesn't mean they're somehow better. That's usually not the case. Leadership brings problems, difficulties, heartaches that followers never experience. I hope some of you never experienced some of the stuff I've had to experience over the years. And you can thank God for that. If God designed you in a different way, thank God for that. <laughs> I know Thursday night we were talking about this, and 
some of you were shaking your heads. You're you're thankful that you don't have to preach. That's not always the case. By the way, God made women to be dependent upon men, so men would protect, provide, and care for women. That's the way God made it. That's a great position to be in. So in relation to the church, it's, it, there's, there's the same sort of idea. The, the direction and the instructions, not a burden that women must bear. That's the man's responsibility. And so you should be grateful to God for that. It lessens a lot of burden off your shoulders when you take on the function God designed you to have, which is a submissive learner. That's role number one for you, a submissive learner. Number two, God designed you to be a gifted trainer. God's designed you women to be gifted trainers. And just because women are not supposed to teach men, by the way, doesn't mean uh, that, that somehow you're without the, this particular giftedness. It uh, doesn't mean that you can't disciple. doesn't mean that you can't train. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the exact opposite is true. On the contrary, you are essential instruments in God's plan for the education of children and other women. That's what Scripture says. In case you don't believe me, look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Hey, remember, Timothy was written so that you and I would know how to behave in the household of God. That's what the book of Timothy says. You want to know how to behave in the church? Read Timothy. That's what it was written for. And so you as women have some clear instruction here to be gifted teacher. By the way, um, before we, we read 1 Timothy 5, we're just going to look at two verses. There's some things I want you to take notice of. Here in this passage, it, dis, it discusses a list of ministries that godly women can and should fulfill. Okay, We don't have time to elaborate in great detail on all these things, but, but, I, but I do want you to notice something here. Notice the first good work that's mentioned here. Notice the first good work mentioned. Not the first thing, but the first good work. Okay? Look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. It says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. What does that look like? Well, number one, here's what it looks like. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So the first thing that God mentions there of what it looks like to have a reputation for good works is, look at this, ladies, what does it say? If she has brought up children. Okay? That's a gifted trainer. God has designed you to do that. God doesn't give you children, then God's designed you not to have children, okay? Right? So, so don't, don't think you somehow play a lesser role if God never gave you children. That's God's choice. It's His, his sovereignty and providence in your life. He's obviously, he obviously has other things for you to accomplish. But Scripture indicates that women play a primary role in the, in the development of children. Now, there's a command in Scripture that says that you are to be workers at home. Workers at home. 
Now, that allows women to spend the most time with the children. And in most cases, you are more gifted than us men at this task anyway. <laughs> okay? You can just ask my own children. Certainly the case in our home. My wife is more gifted at training children than I am. God designed it that way, for the most part, for women to be better at that. And that's why God says that the women are to be the workers at home, not the men be workers at home. The men are to go and put the bread on the table, so to speak. And since raising children is a special ministry for women, they ought to have children if, if you possibly can. All right? That's a good thing to do. Sadly, we live in a society where, where too, too, too many people are thinking, well, children are a hindrance, children aren't a blessing, when the Bible says children are a blessing. And so you've got a lot of, a lot of women today who, who aren't having children, and by the time they finally get around to it, they're old, and then they don't feel like being involved in their children's lives. I can assure you, being now in my 40s and having a little child running around is... I, I must say, I have to question God's providence in my life. I'm, I'm having some arguments with God over this one, okay? God's winning, of course, but God always does what's best, but I'm wondering, okay, man, so much better to have children in your 20s. <laughs> Not when you're in your 40s. This is a, man, it's hard. It is really hard. But sadly, too many women are not doing that. They ought to be having children in their 20s when they have more energy than we do in their 40s. So, now I know there's, there's times when, when women can't have children. In fact, it's physically impossible. But uh, if, if that's the case, let me encourage you, find other ways to serve in that way. You know, if you don't have children, or your children are out of the house, find ways to serve those who do have children. Okay? That means God has gifted you as a gifted trainer to serve other people's children or your grandchildren or whatever. But nevertheless, we need to bring these children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, in a very real sense, this, this saying is true. You ever heard this saying that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world? You ever heard that? You ever heard that saying? The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. In many ways, that that saying is true. Let me give you a question here. It's on the screen. What about the women who do not have children? Or what about the women whose children have departed from the home? Can such women still have a ministry to children? Can you? I've already kind of alluded to that. Of course you can. And by the way, uh, here's the answer. The answer is yes to those questions because... Uh, you need to find ways to minister to children. If you don't have children of your own, for whatever reason, you could find some other people's children to minister to. Okay? I'll gladly let you minister to mine. I have no problem with that. <laughs> you can come babysit whenever you want, all right? Hannah would love that. Uh, you can invite children into your home. You can go to other people's homes. You can find ways to minister. That's God's designed you to do that. You can teach children's classes within our church. You can, uh, you know, I don't know, do neighborhood Bible studies or whatever, okay? Be creative. Let me, by the way, let me address those of you who are more mature. 
That's a nice way of saying it, I hope. Because um, <clears throat> some, some here, I, I know somebody, somebody might be thinking, well, I don't have any of my own children in my home at the moment, so uh, does, is, is there any application for me? And the answer is yes, there is application for you. I mean, remember, we just read, this, this is for somebody who is, who is at least 60 years old. Assuming there's no, no more children in the home. Our passage in Timothy 5, that's what it says. A widow, in order to be enrolled into the church, had to be at least 60. That's one of the qualifications here. Uh, th- that, that was to be able to minister in this regard, that is. So let me address you. The Bible says, if you've brought children up, it doesn't mean if you don't have children in your house, well, you can't, you can't legitimately say, well, hey, I'm on holiday now, or I've retired. You know, I don't want to get involved in children's lives now. No, that's not legitimate. In fact, that's an ungodly attitude. If you say, I don't want to have anything to do with, with, with people's lives, particularly children, that's an ungodly attitude. Instead, you, your attitude ought to be, hey, you know, I'm free of my children. Amen. Now I've got a new ministry to be involved in. My ministry's just starting to begin. I can serve in children's lives because I'm free of my own children now. That ought to be your attitude. Uh, to, help, to help us to get a biblical attitude here, let's look at Titus chapter 2. All right, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Again, addressing older women here. It says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled okay do you see that ladies all right the context here being older women now there are some women and children in the world um, who would certainly uh sorry sorry certainly women who who would meet this these qualifications here and and good for you by all means do what scripture says here by the way it's it's interesting to me uh, when you looked at, at statistics, that there are more women and children in the world than men. I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? When you, when, you put, when you put the children with the women, that's significantly larger than the men in the world. And so um, you're, the, you're the largest portion of society, the, the women and children. And so uh, what does that mean? Well, that means... That's, that's the world's greatest mission field. Look at it that way. You have the world's greatest mission field. You, you can legitimately say um, that you have a lot to do for Christ. Instead, too often, women say, well, I, I don't have anything to do for Christ. But that's not a legitimate excuse. That's not a legitimate thing to say. When women and children make up the largest portion of society, you have a huge mission field there, and you can legitimately say, i got more to do than I have time for. Find a way to serve other women and children. Be a gifted trainer. 
That's what God has designed you for. That is your function. Role number three, you are to be a skilled hostess. God designed you to be a skilled hostess. Now, I want you to notice another important ministry of women in the church here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Because look, look at 1 Timothy 5. It says, uh, if you read on down farther, in verse 10, go back to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 10, it elaborates on what it looks like to have a reputation for good works. It says, if she has brought up children, then it says, has shown hospitality. God designed you to show hospitality. That's what you've been designed for. Now, unfortunately, the ministry of hospitality has largely been forgotten today. And so let me, let me try to help you out a little bit here. Uh, Alexander Strauch, who's obviously a man and a pastor, wrote an excellent book about this issue called, and and here's the name of the book, Using Your Home for Christ. You want to know how to use your home for Christ? Here's some helpful suggestions. Okay, this is one man's opinion. Take it, use it however you want. Anyway, the the book uh, kind of summarized the book for you. Let me give you a few summaries of the book. Here's number one. Hospitality is a crucial element in building Christian community. Hospitality may well be the best means we have to promote close brotherly love. It's one of the reasons God calls us to be hospitable. By the way, that's a command, ladies and men. Don't be a hindrance to your wife. Okay, Do not be a hindrance to your wife in obeying this command. God has commanded you to be hospitable, to show love to other people, even to strangers, by the way. That's the idea of hospitality. hospitality. So, uh, one of the reasons we love our midweek service to be in people's homes is it gives, in this case, gives you an opportunity to be hospitable. We have opportunities to have men's Bible studies. By the way, good job yesterday. Did a good job. It's a great breakfast. Those of you who weren't there missed a nice breakfast. Ham, eggs, bacon. Sorry, it wasn't ham, was it? Bacon. We had a coffee cake. We had waffles with real maple syrup. Oh, man, it was good. It was good. So he showed some good hospitality. He did a good job. Giving him a pat on the back. Right? So even men can do this. All right? All right, so, you know, you have a, have a barbecue during the summer, invite people from the church over. It's a good, a good way to show hospitality. These, these are times, okay, ladies' Bible studies, I don't think I mentioned that, times for you to show hospitality, time where we can encourage one another and edify one another, show brotherly love. Let me give you a second summary of this book, okay? Number two, hospitality is an effective tool for evangelism. Showing Christ's love to others in a home environment may be the only means we have to reach our neighbors for Christ. Our homes can be a lighthouse for God in a spiritually dark neighborhood. Uh, I've, I've, over the years, I've had some, some great discussions with guys standing around the barbecue flipping steaks or sausage or whatever. Okay, you know, those, those, those informal times are a great time to talk to, to an unsaved neighbor. Use them. Often they'll open up to you 
in, in ways they wouldn't do at other times. Particularly, particularly my neighbors who know that I'm a pastor, well, that usually shuts, shuts conversations down real quick. <laughs> man, I, they're thinking, man, I got a weirdo for a neighbor. But you stand around the barbecue flipping a sausage, and immediately they seem to open up in ways they didn't do before. Or I, I go over and I start, I start helping them prune a tree or something, or whatever, okay? Um, uh, <clears throat> immediately they, you, you, you have that, there's, there's barriers that start to come down. Find ways to break down those barriers so that you can be a witness to your unsaved neighbors. And hospitality can do that. Number three, third summary is hospitality is a biblical command. Many Christians do not realize what the Bible teaches about hospitality and what it can do for our church. By the way, um, you're saying, where is that commanded? Well, let me give you three examples Three places in the Bibles where hospitality, God commands you to be hospitable, okay? Here they are, Romans 12, 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's not an option. God commands you to do that. Yes, I know it's inconvenient. <laughs> Nevertheless, you're supposed to do it. All right, 1 Peter 4, verse 9 says, show hospitality to one another Oh, now here's the sticking point, isn't it? You're supposed to do it without grumbling. It means you can't whinge and whine and complain. I've got to clean my house. I've got to cook this food. You've got to do whatever. You, you can't grumble and complain while you do it. Now, you're probably not going to do it while the guest is there. I hope not. But we often grumble and complain as we're vacuuming. I do, I confess. Or cleaning the barbecue, getting ready to cook food, or whatever it is, all right? So there, therein lies, I, I confess to you my sin. I grumble and complain as I'm preparing to be hospitable. And then people show up and I put the smile on my face. Oh, but I, you know, just a few moments ago I was grumbling. It, God doesn't want us to be that way. That's a hypocrite. Be thankful that you can serve in that way. Recognize you're, you're accomplishing a great work. And then Hebrews 13, too. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Okay, Three examples of commands in Scripture where God commands us to be hospitable. So you're to be a hospitable, a hostess, and a hospitable hostess. Role number four, you're to be humble servants. Humble servants. Again, look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 10. 1 Timothy 5, 10 says, uh, as you go down the list there, that a woman can be placed on the list in the church if she has washed the feet of the saints. Whoa. I'm giving you a picture there so you get the idea. All right. But it goes on to say as well, and if she has cared for the afflicted. What does that sound like to you? Well, I've kind of summarized it in these words here for you. A humble servant. A humble servant. Do what Christ did. Wash people's feet. Now, you may not do that literally because here's one of these cultural barriers that we, we have to hurdle as we understand Scripture. None of us are walking around dirty streets in sandals. Well, I don't think we are. Um, most of us got shoes on, the, the streets are paved, we got nice footpaths, 
and you don't have horses and donkeys and mules walking around messing, you know, doing their stuff, and you're not walking on that, right? You get the point. Imagine what your feet would be like if you were walking the same place that horses and donkeys and mules walk, and they leave their mess behind. Nobody's picking that sort of stuff up. Your feet are going to get rather smelly and dirty and nasty because your feet aren't covered. And so during this time, they, they typically washed feet. Often reserved for slaves, by the way, but God says, no, a woman, this kind of a woman is one who washes the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. That's a good description of a godly woman. And so when this passage was written, and remember, they literally washed the feet of other Christians. When, when you came to church, that's what they did. These, these godly women would wash your feet as you came in. It was a nasty job. You, like I said, usually revert, reserved for slaves. And that ministry was needed when the church gathered. Otherwise, you know, imagine yourself sitting in a hot little room. It would get rather smelly. Now today we don't need to do this. Fortunately, we don't need to do this. And you say, well, how does this apply for today? Because, you know, we don't need to do this. So how does it apply for today? Well, you should minister to the physical needs of the church members. Find ways to minister to people's physical needs. This was a physical need, the washing of feet. We don't need to do that today, so find another way to minister to people's physical needs. Somebody came in today and and set up and and ministered to our physical needs by putting out the cups, putting out the coffee and the tea and the the milk, making the milk and, and the sugar and... Somebody put some biscuits out, all right? Little thing, you might say, but that's a way we can minister to people's physical needs. Okay? Somebody else came today and ministered to your physical needs by putting some chairs down for you to sit on. Okay? Imagine trying to stand up the whole time. Or uh, putting up a projector or a screen or... Somebody turn the heaters on for you so you're not freezing to death. Okay? These are just little things, but ways people administer to your physical needs. A godly woman can serve by assisting other mothers with their children, or you can serve uh, people are shut in, you know, like uh, when, when you were sick, for example. Um, if a member of the body's sick, you make a meal for them. Take them that meal. Write them, a, write them an email. Or do, do something that's encouraging. You can help someone who's infirm or laying in bed or uh, has a broken leg or, or you know, whatever. All right? Uh, if somebody has some financial needs or something, okay, we can help one another with those sort of things. Or if somebody can't do something and you're gifted in that way, you know, I'll give you one, okay? I have a chainsaw and I like to use it, all right? And you, you, you want me to minister to you by using my chainsaw on one of your trees or something? I'm happy to do that. Okay? All right, that's just one little example. All right? Maybe somebody has the gift of, I don't know, carpentry or painting or whatever. Use those gifts to minister to one another. Because not everybody's going to have that gift that you do. God gave you that gift. Use it to serve Him. So the roles of... Submissive learners, gifted trainers, skilled hostesses, and humble servants are only some of those functions that that you as a woman can fulfill in the church. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. 
So I hope, though, that you can see there's, there's many, many ways you can serve. There's enough to keep you busy, trust me. <laughs> there is more to do than you have time for. If you just do some of these things that we've talked about today, you will be very, very busy. And by the way, I also hope you can realize that the task that God has assigned for you is something that's not insignificant. It is something that is very important. Very important. In fact, they're just as important as the tasks that God has assigned the men to do. It may not be as, as visible as standing up and teaching other people, like, like, say, I'm doing at the moment. But nevertheless, it's very, very important. Healthy churches have, have women, godly women serving in all of these roles in other ways. Without this, a church is very unhealthy. So, God has designed you in these ways. Do what He's designed you to do. Yes, the roles are different. But just because they're different doesn't mean that they're unimportant. Okay? They're, they're just as important as other things that God has other people doing. No, just be aware of this, though. Satan wants you to concentrate on things that, that God has forbidden you to do. He's been doing that since the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Right? God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, okay, you can do pretty much whatever you want. You can eat from everything around here. Everything you can eat. Oh, just, just don't eat from that one tree over there. One tree. God told them, just don't do that one thing. They could do everything else. They had great liberty and freedom. They do almost everything they want, except that one tree. And what does Satan do? Satan comes along doing the same thing he does, he does to us today, and to particularly you as women, tempts you with the, that one thing right there. You can do all these things, but, but he wants to tempt women to be preachers, for example. The one thing God told you not to do, and he tempts women to do that. It's absurd, but his tactics haven't changed. And so when, 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 when that happens, what happens is in churches, you have unhealthy churches because women are doing the things they weren't designed to do. That's part of the problem. But then the things that God did design them to do, what happens to those things? They, they don't get accomplished, or at least not very good. So it's a, it's a role reversal, and it's unhealthy for churches. So may God help you ladies not to groan or complain or grumble about what God has designed for you to do, but instead be grateful and enthusiastic about what God has designed you to do. Realizing these are God-given, God-given ministries that He has given to you, and you're to fulfill those roles for which God has designed you. And remember, what is the purpose of all of this? In the midst of this, don't forget the purpose. We're to do all to the glory of God. When we do what God has designed us to do, we bring God glory. So, with that in mind, let's quote together the first catechism, which is often the first, the first catechism. Here's what it says. The question is, right? Say it, let's say it together. What is the chief end of mankind? What is it? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Okay? 
Ladies, that applies for you and the functions that God has given to you to, to play and to fulfill within this body. God has a role for you to play. He has ministries for you to fulfill. And they are for the purpose of glorifying God. May you enjoy Him while you fulfill those roles.